I've been working in the news biz in San Francisco consistently since 1989. San Francisco is one of the most corrupt cities in America. But its corruption is deceptively concealed by a tolerant, interracial, multi-gender smiley face. The city, that's what the locals call it, the city, is the headquarters of Nancy Pelosi. In my mind, the most powerful woman in America. Her nephew is the former mayor of San Francisco and the current governor of the state of California. His name, of course, Gavin Newsom. His rise in California politics is typical of that of the Democrat Party. It's been more of a coronation than a nomination. And Gavin Newsom is the man I believe will succeed Donald Trump as President of the United States. In this coming election, you ask? Well, I'll answer that question in just a moment, and I'll also describe for you in detail about how cunning, ruthless, and crooked are those who have enabled Mr. Newsom to become such a powerful political player. It's all in this edition of Hidden Headlines. Welcome, everyone, to Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. I'm Brian Sussman. More on me at briansussman.com. I'm also on Facebook. Just follow Brian Sussman Show. If you were to meet Nancy Pelosi, and I have, you'd find her to be incredibly sharp, especially now given her age of 80 years old, tireless, well-kept, perfectly dressed, and seemingly very cordial. That said, I don't think it would be wise to cross this woman, especially if you're trying to rise up through the ranks of the Democrat Party, because to do that, you really need to kiss her ring. Nancy Pelosi. She was born as Nancy D'Alessandro. She was raised in a political powerhouse family in Baltimore, Maryland, and I should probably preface that by saying an Italian powerhouse family in Baltimore, Maryland. Let me begin by referring to an article from the Baltimore Sun written by Colin Campbell. This is October 20th, 2019. The D'Alessandro family, a political dynasty with two former Baltimore mayors and the first female Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, to its name, rose from a small house in Baltimore's Little Italy. The large Italian family's political power derived from a knowledge of how Baltimore worked and an understanding of how to bring the city's factions together. This according to Jack Lapides, a former longtime state senator. Lapides said, They stayed in Little Italy. They were proud of their roots. They didn't move outward. They stuck to the neighborhoods. And they thought the neighborhoods were the most important thing about the city. We've always been a city of neighborhoods, he said, and they were fabulous at recognizing that. The patriarch of the family, Thomas D'Alessandro Jr., or Big Tommy, as he was known, was the son of Italian immigrants, and he did a lot of things as mayor of that town. He brought back a major league baseball franchise, the Orioles, and he also celebrated the opening of the Friendship Airport, which is now known as Baltimore-Washington International Thurgood 
Thurgood Marshall Airport. That was from 1947 to 1959 when he was the mayor. After being mayor, Big Tommy also served multiple terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. He died in 1987. His wife, Nancy D'Alessandro, was the iron-willed matriarch of the family, a driven Italian wife right out of the old country, who ran the legal and political office of her husband from their humble home in Little Italy. She had six children, the oldest boy named Tommy, and the oldest girl named Nancy. Now, let me stop there for just a moment, because I think this is really significant. Naming their first daughter after Mrs. D'Alessandro, you know, the original Nancy D'Alessandro, is very significant. There was an immediate expectation placed upon little Nancy. I believe it was an expectation to live up to her mother's reputation. Now, for those of you who are old school Italians, you know how this works. I had the privilege of living. I really found it to be a privilege of living in the Chicago area beginning in eighth grade through high school. I was originally born, of course, in Southern California, but then when we went to the Midwest, suddenly I'm surrounded by truly old-school Italian families. I'm reading from italiangenealogy.com, and I witnessed this firsthand. There's been a strong custom in Italy, I read here, that determines on how children are named. The first male is named after his paternal grandfather. The second male is named after his maternal grandfather. The first female is named after her paternal grandmother. The second female is named after her maternal grandmother. The subsequent children can be named after the parents, a favorite aunt or uncle, or a saint or a deceased relative. Now, think about your own family, because in most cultures in past generations, children were usually named after family members, and, and the pattern's very similar to what you see in the Italian tradition. First son, named after the father's father. Second son, named after the mother's father. Third son, named after the father's paternal grandfather, etc., etc., etc. But with Nancy, with Nancy, it's interesting because, again, she's named after her mom. That kind of broke the tradition. My point here is that her mom was a very, very powerful, persuasive, smart political operative in Baltimore. Nancy was named to be that very same person, powerful, persuasive, a leader. And and whether you like Nancy Pelosi or not, I've got news for you. She is all of that. She is powerful, persuasive, a leader, and she is not to be crossed. Let's talk about Mama de Saliandro for just a moment. She was pregnant for every one of her husband's campaigns. It was a big family. But she never let that stop her from organizing women in the neighborhoods to write letters, make flyers, host ravioli and lasagna parties. Nancy wielded tremendous influence over her husband as well as her children. In her 1995 obituary, her son Tommy said his mom was, quote, really the true politician in the family. She was a worker. She worked for the people, he said at the time. I can remember when I was seven or eight, people lined up around the corner from our house seeking her help. She was like a counselor. 
The children grew up watching their parents organize community groups and master the game of politics, said Theodore Ventilewis, who served as a Baltimore County executive from 1975 to 79. He said the kids, Tommy and little Nancy, grew up in that environment and they understood the game. The reason they succeeded, he said, was because they understood the game. You expanded your base. You brought people in. You didn't exclude anybody. You didn't make enemies if you didn't have to. They were progressive in their thinking, he said. Young Tommy, as he was known, was elected to the city council. He became the city council president and then served as mayor himself from 67 to 71. But for whatever reason, he did not run for a second term. All that said, the D'Alessandro family had hardly reached its political peak. So daughter Nancy moves to California. Yeah, she left Maryland, moved to California. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But while in California, she quickly worked her way up to the top ranks of the Democrat National Party. In 76, she was elected as a Democratic National Committee member from California. Then she was elected as a party chair for Northern California. This was in 1977. Four years later, she was selected to head the California Democratic Party. She also served as the San Francisco Democratic National Convention Host Committee Chairwoman in 1984 when the Democrats had their big convention prior to an election in 1984. Then she was the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee Finance Chair from 85 to 86. She was playing her cards absolutely perfectly. Then finally, in 1986, her persuasiveness and patience paid off. She was designated successor to very popular San Francisco Congresswoman Sally Burton, who was dying of cancer. Nancy was guaranteed the support of the Burtons. They were a very powerful, deep-pocketed family with lots and lots of contacts. Pelosi won the special election to succeed Burton in 1987, then easily won the next general election in 1988, and no one has come close to ousting her since. All those years I was on the radio in San Francisco, I had many people approach me. I'm running for Congress against Nancy Pelosi. Brian, you've got to support me. Get me on the air. Interview me. None of these people had a prayer. They didn't even have so much as a prayer. Nancy Pelosi represents one of the safest, maybe the safest Democrat district in the country, San Francisco. Democrats have held that seat in San Francisco since 1949. Registered Republicans in San Francisco, maybe on a good year, 13%. 13% of registered voters are Republicans. They have not made a serious bid for that seat since maybe the early 1960s. Nancy Pelosi won re-election in, uh, in the regular election in 1988 and has been re-elected another 16 times. Again, no substantive opposition. She wins with an average of 80% of the vote. So she finally became the first female Speaker of the House of Representatives in 2006, and she has ruled the roost for congressional Democrats ever since.
Peter Schweitzer is a brilliant thinker, and he's an author, and he wrote a book in 2010 entitled She's the Boss, The Disturbing Truth About Nancy Pelosi. He even calls Nancy the most dangerous woman in America. Well, listen, most people see Pelosi exactly the way she wants them to. She presents herself as a cultured San Francisco politician from an esteemed family. She wears the beautiful Chanel suits and she wears the Mikimoto pearls. And she is a political boss. Don't be fooled by the image. The caring grandmotherly public servant. No, no, no. This woman is all business. And Schweitzer articulates it very well in his book, She's the Boss. And he talks about her carefully orchestrated rise to power. And then he talks about this, as Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi once pounded her gavel so hard, it literally left a dent in the lectern. True. She frightens even those who agree with her on almost anything and everything. She punishes those who stand in her way, like, you know, the squad, AOC, and those other chicks. Can I tell you something? Pelosi gives them just enough leash, but if they get too far, she will cut the rug from underneath them and make sure they do not win another election. I'm serious about this. As for her hypocrisy, Schweitzer talks about that as well in his book. For example, as Nancy Pelosi expects Americans to pay for their own carbon footprints, she demands a bigger jet for her trips across the globe, as well as military G5s for holiday weekends. Those are fancy planes. She claims to act for the benefit of the American people, yet seems to always find a way to enrich her family's personal portfolio through pet legislation and personal financial dealings. No, seriously, you look at the amount of money her husband, Paul, has made in the city of San Francisco and the surrounding area through sweetheart real estate deals, especially deals involving, or I should say oftentimes deals involving former property owned by the federal government or the state of California or even the city of California. It's shocking, shocking. She tries to always enact taxpayer funding for abortions. I mean, she is the champion of abortions, and yet somehow she's this bonafide Catholic. The Democrat Party really works for Nancy Pelosi, and that's why Schweitzer entitled his book, She's the Boss. Now let's move on to Nancy's nephew, Gavin, Gavin Newsom. Again, I mention this to people on a regular basis. Did you know that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is Nancy Pelosi's nephew? Most people are clueless. California is the world's fifth largest economy. Before the coronavirus hit, no one would talk about this, but there was an estimated $2 trillion in debt in the state of California. It's well buried, but it's there if you want to dig around to find it. Now, because of the coronavirus and the crazy spending that's gone along with this virus, and the lack of tax money coming into the coffers in California, or the reduced tax money coming into the coffers in California, the debt is probably past $3 trillion. That's $3 trillion with a T. California has the highest taxes in the country. Homelessness is out of control. I recently drove from Texas, where I was visiting all of my friends from California who moved to Texas. Drove through Texas, drove through New Mexico, 
drove through Arizona. I didn't see one homeless person. Got to California, and as soon as you hit the L.A. area, boom. If you're unfamiliar with the homelessness situation in California, your jaw will drop when you see it. It's like you're looking at a third world country. What's happening in California right now with the coronavirus and homeless, nobody wants to talk about that. It, this, but it's happening, and it's happening through both government funding, that means taxpayer funding, as well as funding from organizations associated with George Soros. Homeless people are being housed in hotels right now. They're being housed in hotels. They're getting free alcohol, they're getting free pot, and they're getting free methadone. Folks, I'm a native Californian. Government spending is out of control. It might be better to say it's uncontrollable. I've lived in the Golden State for 75% of my years. I know what I'm talking about. Most Californians today are struggling to make ends meet. Most of my friends might have a little money in the bank, but with this coronavirus, can I tell you something? Friends that were once doing very well, who own restaurants and who own gyms and who own hair salons, that's it. They don't know if they're going to be able to make it back. Some of my friends have said, that's it, I, I'm done. I've, had to, I've, I've officially lost my business because of this damned coronavirus. Those on top of the food chain are profiting from its demise right now. Oh, seriously. People that are well-connected politically, they're making bank off all of this. But in the meantime, people are struggling. But all that said, let me show you who really runs the state of California. Gavin Newsom is from an elite family, a very elite family. Gavin Newsom has ties to the Jerry Brown family. Jerry Brown, of course, is the former governor of California, whose dad was also a governor of California. Gavin Newsom is directly related to Nancy Pelosi, as I mentioned, and is tight with the uber-wealthy Getty family. The Getty family is the original oil tycoon family of California. Now, the media tries to paint Gavin as coming from humble beginnings, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Gavin is a fourth-generation San Franciscan and is as politically well-connected as anyone ever could be. Now, when the coronavirus first came to California, Gavin Newsom held a press conference on March 12th to let people know his state was shutting down, but he was in control. And here's what he said. Are you ready? First thing, I want to thank Speaker Nancy Pelosi. His aunt <laughs> didn't mention that, <laughs> but he wanted to thank her. And oh, did he thank her? Quote, we had a very long conversation today. We are so blessed to have her leadership in California. She is very familiar to Northern Californians, certainly familiar to me as former mayor of San Francisco. Again, nothing about Gavin being Nancy's nephew, nor nothing else about their family secrets. You see, there are four San Francisco families intertwined by blood, marriage, money, culture, and politics. The Newsoms, the Pelosi's, the Gettys, and the Browns. Pat Brown, governor of California, 59 to 67. Jerry, listen to this. 
Jerry did eight years as California's governor from 1975 to 83. He was attorney general of California from 2007 to 2011. And then, despite a law limiting the governorship to two terms, he was elected to a third and fourth term from 2011 to 2019. He always said, well, that law was put in place after I was governor. Therefore, it doesn't count for me. And the entire political establishment of California and the media said, well, of course, of course. Have another two, Jerry. Now, all of these connections date back to when Jerry Brown's father, Pat Brown, ran for San Francisco district attorney back in 1939. He lost, but then he won in 1943 with the help of his close friend, and Gavin Newsom's grandfather, a businessman named William Newsom. So let's go back in time to 1943. Gavin's great-grandfather, William Newsom, helped Pat Brown win the 1943 race for San Francisco District Attorney. And then Pat became governor in 1959. In 1960, there were the Winter Olympics in Squaw Valley, California. Governor Pat Brown awarded the Olympics concession business to William Newsom. I mean, that was a big deal. A political connection shoots and scores for William Newsom. And the other partner in the concession business was John Pelosi. In 1963, John's son Paul married Nancy D'Alessandro the daughter of Congressman and Baltimore Mayor Thomas D'Alessandro. In 1969, Paul and Nancy moved from Maryland to San Francisco, where Paul's brother Ron was a county supervisor. See, the connections were already there. Ron married William Newsom's daughter, Barbara. So Nancy Pelosi, and by the way, Nancy and Paul, their net worth is at least in the tens of millions. I would guess in the hundreds of millions. And if you told me he was a billionaire, that wouldn't surprise me at all either. Because again, as I mentioned, the sweetheart real estate development deals he gets away with, he always gets first crack at these things in the San Francisco area. It's amazing. And again, no one blinks an eye. No one in the media calls him out. So Gavin Newsom's aunt by marriage is Nancy Pelosi. So now, at the risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, let me read something from the Tennessee Star. It's a March 30th piece by Lloyd Billingsley. He's talking about Nancy Pelosi and her credentials as a woman of the left. He begins by talking about a union boss named Harry Bridges. Harry Bridges, by the way, was exposed as a literal Soviet agent. I mean, he was working for the Soviet Union back in the day. Nancy Pelosi praised Bridges. It's in the congressional record. She praised Bridges. Again, he was an exposed Soviet agent. He was a communist. Nancy Pelosi praised him as, quote, arguably the most significant labor leader of the 20th century. Nancy Pelosi was also a fan of a guy named Vincent Hollinan. Vincent Hollinan was Bridges' lawyer. Vincent Hollinan was the 1952 candidate for president of the Progressive Party. 
That's a communist front group. The Communist Party USA, CPUSA, is a wholly sown subsidiary of the communists, for example, that were a part of the Soviet Union. They ran candidates in U.S. elections during the time of the Soviet Union in the 1920s right up to 1984. So again, this is a communist front group with ties to the Soviet Union running candidates for political office in the United States from the 20s to 1984. This is all on the record. In 1984, CPUSA presidential candidate Gus Hall teamed with 1960s radical and unabashed communist Angela Davis. Angela Davis was uh, a member of the Black Panther Party. Angela Davis ended up getting a sweetheart deal wherein she was making hundreds of thousands of dollars as, in a prestigious position at the University of California, San, Santa Cruz. And this is what the left does. They reward you for your service of being faithful to the party with a sweetheart job where you basically don't have to do anything. Angela Davis. Angela Davis was also the winner of the Lenin Peace Prize in 1976, as in Vladimir Lenin. So this is interesting because you look at all of these players, Harry Bridges. Harry Bridges' acolyte Nancy Pelosi was one of the party's fiercest partisans. And that trait has been handed down and even emerges in Gavin Newsom. You look at Gavin Newsom, he's somewhat young. He's put together really well. He's got the slick back hair. Now, I know listeners to this podcast probably don't like Gavin Newsom a whole lot. You look at him and your stomach turns. But to most people in America that don't follow the politics the way we might, they see this guy as a dashing young man who they would love to see as president of the United States someday. Now let's get to the Brown family for just a moment. I'm going to connect some dots for you. When former Governor Pat Brown's son, Jerry, claimed the governorship in 1974, he appointed his dear friend, William Newsom, that's Gavin's father, to a judgeship position in Placer County. And then three years later, he was moved to the Court of Appeals. Judge Newsom had been an attorney for oil magnate J. Paul Getty. While serving on the appellate bench in the 1980s, he helped Getty's son, Gordon, secure a change in state trust law that allowed him to claim his share of a multi-heir trust. I know I'm getting in the weeds here, but let me just continue. After Newsom retired from the bench in 1995, he became administrator of Gordon Getty's trust. So again, he changed a state law that allowed Gordon to claim his share of a multi-heir uh, estate, a multi-heir inheritance, the multi-heir trust. And then when he retired from the bench, Newsom, in 1995, suddenly he was the administrator of this giant pile of money. In fact, he told one interviewer, quote, I make my living working for Gordon Getty. So all of this money, all of this trust money, this trust fund estate money was seed money for a venture called Plump Jack. 
Plump Jack is a chain of restaurants and wine shops that Gavin Newsom owns. So in other words, thanks to the Getty fortune, Gavin Newsom was able to get the funding for his restaurants and his wine shops. And by the way, Gordon Getty's son, Billy, Billy, uh, was able to develop the first swanky hotel at the former Olympic Village in Squaw Valley. All of, all of the connections that have allowed these people to become so, so wealthy and in the process become so, so powerful. Now, here's another interesting little fact. Gavin Newsom was informally adopted by the Gettys after his parents divorced. What was happening here was the return of a similar favor that the Newsom family had done for a young Gordon Getty many years early. Many years earlier, Newsom's Plump Jack business. Plump Jack is a series of wineries and restaurants. Plump Jack, by the way, named for an opera that Gordon Getty wrote. This led to a career in San Francisco politics and a stint in mayor for Gavin Newsom, and then the lieutenant governorship, and then the governorship itself, as he succeeded his father's old friend. You see, it's all in the family. And then there's this little gem. In 2007, Gavin Newsom said he quit drinking and would seek professional help for problems with alcohol. This came after he was caught cheating on his wife. It was a big story for about half a day in San Francisco's media world. They really didn't want to have to talk about this because he was such a rising star and so dashing and so handsome and so well-connected. But he was caught cheating on his wife. In fact, he was in a relationship with his executive assistant who happened to be the wife of one of his best friends. That's low. That's real low. So you're cheating on your wife, having a relationship with your executive assistant who's actually the wife of one of your best friends. He blamed all of this on poor judgment because of drinking. Well, after all, he owned a winery. He was 39 at the time. He was mayor of San Francisco. Talked about his drinking problems admitted to an affair with the wife of his campaign manager and best friend. The guy's name was Alex Tork. The woman, who, by the way, is now remarried, was a subordinate of Newsom's and worked in City Hall as his appointments secretary. She also claimed to have some kind of substance abuse problem. I think it was alcohol. That's what she said at the time. So now we're going back to February 2007. I remember this very well. It was on the radio Gavin Newsom apologized at a news conference saying the affair, quote, is something I have to live with, something I'm deeply sorry for. I'm also sorry that I've let the people of San Francisco down. And then four days later, he said he was seeking treatment for alcohol abuse. Quote, my problems with alcohol are not an excuse for my personal lapses in judgment, he said in a statement. Upon reflection with friends and family this weekend, I have come to the conclusion that I will be a better person without alcohol in my life. In other words, he said alcohol is the problem. I'm giving it up. There will be no alcohol in my life. Yes, I'll continue to own the winery, 
but no alcohol in my life. That's what he said, 2007. New York Times, February 2007. Gavin Newsom plans to, quote, begin outpatient treatment at a local rehabilitation program. Gavin Newsom went on to tell the Sacramento Bee newspaper that he sought counseling back then from Mimi Silbert. Mimi Silbert. Mimi Silbert, a rather famous person here in San Francisco. She's put together an excellent rehab facility called Delancey Street. It's a nonprofit that specializes in substance abuse treatment and helps primarily ex-convicts and homeless people get off the sauce or get off the drugs. And they really do a great job. Over the years, the rehab enterprise has been granted ownership, by the way, of some of the most expensive Bayfront real estate in San Francisco. It's interesting how a rehab facility would gain ownership of property worth millions and millions and millions of dollars in San Francisco. Anyway, getting back to the article in in the Sacramento Bee. Gavin Newsom says, Mimi called me and she said, you and I are going to spend every night in the next few weeks together. She said, I want you to stop drinking. I want a reset in your life. I want to spend time. What the hell is going on? She goes on in this article in the Sacramento Bee and says, not only did he stop drinking, but he forgave himself and he asked others for forgiveness for what he had done. Silbert said that Gavin Newsom didn't drink for roughly half the time he attended Delancey Street. That means the other half of the time he was drinking. So what in the heck? She says in this article that Gavin Newsom, while he was in this treatment meeting with her over the phone, by the way, these were phone meetings from everything I've been able to determine. He was never in residency at Delancey Street. So it was either in person or over the phone in any case They were getting together on a somewhat regular basis. And at some point during the discussions that they were having, he asked for permission to drink again. And Mimi Silvert said, quote, I felt it was fine. Now, please, folks, (laughs) I have many friends who are recovering alcoholics. Maybe some of you are listening to this podcast. If any of my friends fell off the wagon and began drinking again, I would be there for them. I would be there for them to say, hey, bro, what are you doing? I remember what happened to you when you were drinking. Look at what happened. You did this. You did that. You almost lost your job. You almost lost your family. Whatever. But the first rule in recovery is telling telling the truth, right, to both yourself and others. I don't know what was going on with these conversations with Mimi, but I can tell you this, the Delancey Street Foundation gets a lot of sweet deals from the city of San Francisco, including funding and, as I mentioned, real estate. So now you've got one of the most powerful guys in the state of California and the most powerful guy in the city of San Francisco, other than Nancy, who, by the way, is his little auntie, right? Or big auntie, as the case may be. And... And, and he asks you, I want to start drinking again. What are you supposed to say? Something's fishy here. Was drinking the problem or was drinking just a way to cover his infidelity in order to protect his political future? 
I, we'll never know. But I can tell you this, this issue is now water under the bridge and it will never be discussed by the establishment media. And when Gavin Newsom runs for president in 2024, I can guarantee you anyone who brings this up will be considered a kook and a conspiracy theorist. Just some inside information regarding Nancy's nephew, the man who I believe will be the Democrats candidate in 2024 and the guy who I believe will be president of the United States shortly thereafter. And with that in mind, I say God help this country. Brian Sussman, hidden headlines, faith, family, freedom. For more on me, just go to briansussman.com. Thank you for your listenership. God bless you, my friends. And as callers to my radio show always used to say, I will now hang up on myself.